Morning Church. The Bible reading is taken from Amos 6, 1-14, uh, which is on page 749 of the Church Bible. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation, to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it, go from there to Great Hamath, and then go down to Gath in Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The Sovereign Lord has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I will deliver up the city and everything in it. If ten people are left in one house, they too will die. And if the relative who comes to carry the bodies out of the house to burn them asks anyone who might be hiding there, Is anyone else with you? And he says, No. Then he will go on to say, Hush. We must not mention the name of the Lord. For the Lord has given the command, and he will smash the great house into pieces, and the small house into bits. Do horses run on the rocky crags? Does one plough the sea with oxen? But you have turned justice into poison, and the fruit of righteousness into bitterness. You who rejoice in the conquest of Lodabar, and say, Did we not take Karnaim by our own strength? But the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation against you, Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Lebo Hamath to the valley of the Arabah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in Greek mythology, there's a story about Daedalus and his son Icarus. As the story goes, they were both imprisoned on an island by King Minos. And since Daedalus was a master craftsman, he came up with a way to escape. He created two sets of wings of wax and feathers, one for him and one for his son, Icarus. But before they flew off and escaped his imprisonment, uh, Daedalus warns his son, don't fly too close to the sea, otherwise uh, the feathers might make it wet. Uh, And don't fly too close to the sun, otherwise you'll melt the wax. And on that note, they both uh, flapped their wings, fly into the sky and escape imprisonment. At first, Icarus flies with his father. He doesn't fly too low and stays clear of the water, lest it gets wet. He doesn't fly too high and risks getting too close to the sun. Uh, But the longer he flies, the more exhilarating he feels. Uh, The longer he flies, the more intoxicating the experience. The longer he flies, the more he's filled with pride. And so he ignores his father's warning. He begins to sweep higher and higher and higher. And as you can imagine him saying to his father, look at me, look at how well I'm flying. Look at how high I'm going. Look how, how great I am, dad. But the higher he flies, the closer he's to the sun. The quicker the wax melts, the more feathers begin to fall. And eventually he falls from the sky, crashes into the sea, and drowns to his death. The story of Icarus is a warning. He shouldn't have become arrogant and think that he was wiser than his dad. 
He shouldn't have found his sense of security in his wings, but in the wisdom of his father. He didn't know better than his father. He paid the ultimate price because of his pride. Uh, There's an old proverb that says pride comes before a fall. That's what happened to Icarus, and as we'll see in today's passage, that's what happens to Israel. But this old proverb isn't wisdom from Greek mythology, but from King Solomon, the son of King David, the author of Proverbs. So in chapter 16, verse 18, he says, and he warns, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Unfortunately for Israel, they didn't listen to Solomon. They became a proud nation. And as we'll see in today's passage, Amos condemns Israel's pride and announces her destruction. So uh, there are two main sections in today's passage. From verses 1 to 6, we see the revolting attitude and lifestyle of the proud nation of Israel. And from the second part of verse 6 to 14, the end of the passage, we see God's judgment on the proud. And so just as Icarus was warned, just as Israel was warned, so let us be warned this morning as we look deep in our hearts and assess our own lives of the pride we have. Amos begins by announcing the oracle. It's directed not only to the northern kingdom of Israel, which has been the main focus of Amos's oracles and prophecy, but also the southern kingdom of Judah as well. We see this as he references Zion, which is an unknown for Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, the kingdom to the south. Verse 1, Woe to you who are complacent in Zion. You see that the people in the south are hearing uh, these announcements from God through his prophet Amos to the north, and they can become complacent. They can think, look how terrible and horrible those guys in the north are. We've got Jerusalem, we're the temple of God, we're, we're great, we're fine. But no, Amos is saying, don't be complacent. This word to the northern kingdom is a word that you must also listen to, that you must also hear. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. Amos is therefore speaking both to the northern and southern kingdoms and in particular to the leaders of these two nations. You notable men of the the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Now the notable men were the rich and the powerful, the politicians, the businessmen, the celebrities, the influencers. Think Anthony Anthony Albanese and Daniel Andrews, Andrew Forrest and Elon Musk, Chris Hemsworth and Kim Kardashian. They're the people you want to go to for advice and appraisal, for attention and approval. The people that you want to be linked in with if you were given the opportunity. But notice that they're not just the notable men in verse 1. They're the notable men of the foremost nation. That is, that's what Israel thought of themselves. That's what these people thought of themselves. The best of nations, the most important nation, a proud nation. It brings to mind Russia, doesn't it? especially with their recent invasion of Ukraine, a nation so wealthy and powerful with billionaires who own English leased uh, football teams outright and with a nuclear arsenal so big that it could bring an end to the world as we know it. 
But when Israel heard these words from Amos, it, 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 should, it would have sent shivers down their spines. Because there's one other place in Scripture, one other passage in the Bible that also was referred to as the first among the nations, as the foremost of the nations. And that was the Malachites. When God's prophet condemned their Malachites, Balaam, God's prophet, called them the first among the nations. And what happened to them? Well, God's judgment fell upon them and they were eventually destroyed. And so right from the beginning of this oracle, Israel's warned they might have a great military army, a great arsenal of chariots. They can even boast about their recent conquests. But in verse 2, Amos mimics them. Mimics the notable men and mocks their pride. Verse 2, go to Kalnei and look at it. Go from there to Great Hamath. These are the notable men saying, look at these cities. Look at these places. Then go down to Gath in the Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You see, these notable men were so full of pride. They're patting themselves on their own backs and saying, look at how great we are. Look at, look at these places that we've recently conquered. Look, look at our land and how we've expanded our territory. We're so great. We're so strong. Look at us. Look at how amazing we are. They might have felt in, untouchable, even invincible. And why wouldn't they be? Uh, why wouldn't they feel that way? They, they've got a great army. They've been winning wars and battles. But from God's perspective, no matter how strong and powerful they think they are, they're nothing to compare to the might of God. And this is a warning to Russia and to China, to the United States, and even to us, Australia, as we buy nuclear-armed submarines, powered submarines, nuclear-powered submarines, that if we pride ourselves on our military capabilities and find our security in nuclear weapons, and we think we're untouchable, then we're wrong. Israel was wrong, we'd be wrong. For one day God will call us to account, just as he did with Israel. Verse 3, you put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. In 1992, Pierre Nevada was found dead at the Royal National Park in south of Sydney. And for more than two decades, the case could be solved. But with the advancement of DNA technology in 2011, 10 years ago, police were able to match semen found in Miss Nevada's body with a person who they had suspected. But they couldn't, they couldn't pin down. It was Steve Isaac Matthews. So after 22 years, the case was unresolved until 2011. He was sentenced to jail for 16 years for a crime he committed many decades ago. After 22 years, the killer was finally found and convicted. After 22 years, there's finally some closure for Nevada's family. You see, for 22 years, Matthews probably thought he got away with murder and rape. But Charlie Bezina, a former detective senior sergeant, said this. Murder doesn't go away. Watch your back. But as we all know, sometimes the law doesn't catch up with murderers. Sometimes the police just can't catch the rapists. Sometimes criminals do get away with it, but not with God. There's no escape from the judgment of God. 
You see, when we sin, no matter how big or small that sin is, we may think that we've gotten away with it. We may even think that no one knows about it. But that's not true at all, for God sees all. And when we meet him face to face, our sins will be laid bare before the throne of God, where we will face the judgment of God. Now, it wasn't just Israel's attitude that was revolting to God. It was coupled with their revolting lifestyle. You see, they bought the most expensive furniture money can buy and lounge around like they owned the world. Verse 4, you lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. They eat meat as part of their staple diet. Even though it's very expensive, most Israelites only ate meat three times a year. Verse 4, you dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. Uh, they, they even live like kings and queens and have the time of day not to work but to improvise and listen to songs like King David did of old. Verse 5, you strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. They drink wine, not just from a cup, but from a bowl. It's the image of excess because there's just so much wine to go around and so much laziness to refill their cups. And so they pour into wines and drink it by the bowlful. You drink wine by the bowlful, verse 6, and finally they pour the finest oils over themselves, bathing themselves in the most expensive of perfumes and lotions. They live a life of decadence and self-indulgence. No expense was spared and no sense was left unsatisfied. The food they ate, the wine they drank, the music they enjoyed, the lotions they applied. Every faculty of their being was being attended to. They lived a life of luxury. They found their security in their military might. They thought they were safe. They thought they could live and get away with it all. But as we've seen over the past few weeks, the, ter- the reason the notable of Israel can live the life of decadence was at the grave expense of the poor who lived right next door. Yet it didn't trouble them one little bit. They didn't mind mistreating the poor and denying them of justice. They didn't mind being religious and denying God of their heart. Verse 6, but you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Joseph here refers to the northern kingdom. For the northern kingdom was known as Israel or Ephraim, and Ephraim being one of the sons of Joseph. And so God pronounces his judgment on them. When the time of God's judgment comes, they'll be the first to suffer. Verse 7, Therefore you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. God will bring an end to everyday value and enjoy, because at the heart of the problem was their pride. Verse 8, the sovereign Lord has sworn by himself, the Lord God Almighty declares, I abhor the pride of Jacob and detest his fortresses. I'll deliver up the city and everything in it. You see, Israel was a proud nation. I mean, why wouldn't you be? If you're rich and wealthy and your investments were going through the roof, if your country had a strong army and you just want some wars, why wouldn't you be proud? Why wouldn't you feel secure? But as God saved people, their crowning posture was meant to be the posture of humility before God and trust in his promises. But instead, their posture was one of pride 
and trust in their fortresses. And so God will bring judgment upon them. And it will be devastating. Rather than lounging comfortably in ivory beds, houses are going to be overcrowded because most of the houses would have been destroyed. And so everyone's cramming into whatever house remains. But even when they cram into these houses thinking that they're safe, death will still come upon them. God's judgment will catch up to them. Verse 9. If ten people are left in one house, they too will die. Anyone left alive will go around looking for dead bodies. Not, not to bury them, because there are just so many dead bodies, but in fact to gather them so that they, they can burn them up. Verse 10, And if the relative who comes to carry the bodies out of their house to burn them, ask anyone who might be hiding, Is anyone else with you? And he says, No. Then he'll go on to say, Hush. We must not mention the name of the Lord. And as he goes to find the bodies, he's told, Hush, don't mention the name of Yahweh, your God. Don't mention God. That's a terrifying statement to hear. Don't mention God. Why? Why don't mention God? Verse 11, For the Lord has given the command, and he will smash the great houses into pieces and the small house into bits. You see, God is not to be mentioned because God has come to judge. God has come to judge and there is no time to call on God's grace. It's too late. They had been warned, but they didn't heed the warnings. They've been rebuked, but they didn't repent. And if anyone protested and said to Moses, but, but we're good people. We're not that bad. Look at the other countries and look at what they do. We're, we're not that bad. We're respectable citizens. We don't deserve this sort of judgment. This is too extreme. This is uncalled for. And so Amos reminds them that they do deserve it because they have done the unthinkable. Verse 12. Do horses run on the rocky crags or cliffs? Does one plow the sea with oxen? You see, he's describing, he's illustrating, he's giving a picture of the unthinkable. You wouldn't see horses galloping on the edge of a cliff. That They wouldn't do that. If they're in their right mind, they wouldn't do that because it's too dangerous. They'll fall off the cliff and they'll die. No horse in their right mind would do that. That does one plow the sea with oxen? If you're a farmer, you plow the fields. Your oxen will pull and help you do whatever it is to the land. I'm not a farmer. Does one plow the sea with oxen? I'm not a farmer, but I know that. That you don't plow the sea with oxen. You'll die, your ox will die, and you won't get anything for your hard work. You, that's unthinkable. No one would do that in their right mind, but you have turned, Amos says, you have turned Israel, ancient Israel, the notable, have turned justice into poison. You've done the unthinkable. A horse won't do the unthinkable. A farmer won't do the unthinkable, but you, the intelligent, the people in the upper echelons of society, You've done the unthinkable. The fruit of righteousness into bitterness. That is, ancient Israel have done the unthinkable by turning justice into poison. 
the fruit of righteousness, something sweet, something wonderful, into something disgusting, something bitter. They've turned the world upside down. It no longer makes any sense. And so God will turn their world upside down and make them swallow their pride. Verse 13, you will rejoice, you who rejoice, in the conquests of Lodabar and say, did, did we not take Karanaim by our own strength? Did, did you sense that? Look how, look how strong and mighty we are. Look how powerful and able we are. Our own strength. God's not in their picture. Verse 14, For the Lord God Almighty declares, I will stir up a nation. You, 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 you're so great. You're so strong. You're so able. You can conquer. Well, God is going to stir up a nation to conquer you. I will stir up a nation against you, Israel, that will oppress you all the way from Lebo Hamath to the valley of Arabah. God will raise up a nation against them and bring his righteous judgment upon them. God will turn their world upside down. For they have turned God's world upside down. Now the reality is that God knew Israel was tempted to be proud even before they entered the promised land. In some ways, Darius knew Icarus would become proud and warned him before he took flight. You see, just before Israel entered the promised land and take possession of the land that was flowing with milk and honey, a land that cities they did not build and wells they did not dig, Moses warned them, when they prosper, because they will prosper, when they prosper, they must not become complacent. When they have their field, they must not forget God and his commands. And so Moses says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Verse 11, be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you to this day. As we've seen over the past few weeks, ancient Israel had become very prosperous, very wealthy. They've had their field to the brim. The Sumerian Ordinaries Index was at an all-time high. Business is booming, economy is growing, and they are safe as they're surrounded by their fortresses and their military might. But this happened not because they observed God's commands and kept his laws as they were required to. They've become rich at the expense of the poor and traded their own slaves as they would trade stocks for profit. They didn't care. They didn't care that that was what was happening and how they became filthy rich because life was good. And just as Icarus ignored his father's warning, so Israel ignored Moses' warnings. They forgot that they were once slaves and became proud. They forgot God had rescued them and became complacent. And so Moses continues in verse 12, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build your fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud. And what happens when you become proud? When you forget all these blessings are from God? That you forget to give Him praise and thanks when you don't obey his commands then your heart will become proud and what will happen you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt 
out of the land of slavery. You'll forget who you are. You were slaves. You were, you were trash. And God brought you out of the land of slavery and made you somebody. And you forget your Savior. You forget your Savior. You see, when we find our security in the things of this world and enjoy the riches this world has to offer, we can become proud and forget God because we don't think we need God. We, 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 we lie to ourselves and pretend that we did it on our own. That's why one of the most insightful Proverbs, I think is Proverbs 30, from 8 to 9, Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Now I don't think it's coincidental that Jesus tells us to also pray in the Lord's Prayer for what? our daily bread. Because when we stop depending on God for our daily necessities, we become complacent, we forget God. We become complacent and think, of course there'll be food for dinner tonight. We can become proud and think, I paid for that food with my hard work out of my own pocket. You see, the reality is that as 21st century Christians living in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, we're all very well-to-do. Respectable, upstanding citizens, professional and educated, the notable of the foremost country. It's very easy for us to feel proud and forget God. To think that we made it on our own and forget that every good gift comes from God. You see, pride rears its head when we feel entitled. Pride rears its head when we want recognition. Pride rears its head when we pay God lip service. And the Apostle Paul had so much to be proud of. He was a fervent Pharisee and studied the best university. He kept the law to a T and even persecuted the early church. But he counts it all as garbage, he tells the Philippian church in chapter 3, verse 8. For all he wants is Christ. The Apostle Paul was a great church planter after he was converted. Even working as a tent maker to preach the gospel and offer free of charge. His letters are full of wisdom and stories of how he suffered for Christ. There's so much Paul could boast about. So much in his life that he could be proud of. But he told the Corinthian church in chapter 1, verse 31, he won't boast in any of that, but only in Christ and him crucified. You see, friends, we need to heed the warnings and learn from ancient Israel. For pride comes before a fall. Let me end with a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 18. From verse 9, it's about a Pharisee and a tax collector who goes to a temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, 
robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. You see, the proud will find security in their good deeds, in the things that they have done. I fast twice a week. God, look, look at how sacrificial I am. Look at how devoted I am. I give a tenth. Look how generous I am, God. They look down on others. The proud will look down on others. And that can happen in church too, can't it? I think I could serve better than that person. I think I can do a better job than that person. That's, that's looking down on others, isn't it? Rather than thank God that they're willing to serve with the gifts God's given them. That they are building up the body of Christ. That they're playing their part. No, no, no. A Pharisee will not be thankful. A Pharisee will condemn. Will look down on others and puff themselves up. Will, will, will try to draw people to uh, attention to themselves and so that they might receive acclamation, that people will see how good they are and the good deeds they've done. They'll see themselves in the best of light and see the worst in others. And, and then verse 13, Jesus says, that, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He doesn't even want to come near to, to the throne of God, to the place of God, to, into the presence of God. He stands in a distance because he feels unworthy. He will not even look up to heaven, but beat his chest and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Friends, who do you identify with more? Who are you in this story? I tell you that this man, this tax collector, this sinner, this man who took the posture of humility, who saw himself unworthy to be in the presence of God, who begged God for mercy, and cried out to God because he's a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted.